Okay, so in our pursuit of learning to lean this fall and this year, uh, we have taken a little side road, which is a deeper look at the topic of leaning, which is learning to be content. We looked, uh, what's it, two weeks ago at Philippians 4, 12 and 13 about Paul making this incredible statement that he has learned to be content no matter what the circumstances. And we commented last week that it's good to know that he had to learn it. Um, And so we want to jump on um, that bandwagon as well. Because how much better is it when you feel content? I mean, it's just better, isn't it? It's better to feel content than to feel bent out of shape, offended, um, self-pity. And I've given you the, the list here of, I think, the 12 obstacles to contentment that we have covered so far. I thought that just might come in handy to have it all in one place. Because what we're seeking to do is to realize, okay, most of us live probably with a certain level of unawareness about our discontent. And then once we bring it up and think about it, we realize, oh, I'm really not rested content at 100% peace about this particular situation. So, hmm, wonder what that's about. And we've said that these mindsets, these attitudes, these ways of looking at situations and circumstances can be huge roadblocks for us as we want to learn to be content. So we're, we're doing some self-exam. We're looking at what's going on inside and hopefully welcoming the work of the, pardon me, the Holy Spirit in revealing this stuff so that we can deal with it and so that we can live in a more contented way. So that's kind of what we've done so far and realizing that we have a choice. One of my favorite things to think about is that God gave us a huge gift, a huge trust that he's given to us as his people is that we have a choice. We can do it our way. We can lean on our own understanding. We can be just offended out the hooey all the rest of our lives if we want to. We can. That's up to us. We get to choose. Or we can say, hmm, I don't really like the way that's going. And, Lord, you're offering me something different. And it might require some work on my part to really listen and to really get still and to really admit some hard stuff. But if I'll do that and not lean on my own understanding, then I think I'm going to, it's going to be better for everybody. I mean, it's kind of like I heard some speaker say one time, do the world a favor and get a better attitude. <laughs> you know, your family will thank you, <laughs> you know, if we do this work. And, and it's just better to be better. I mean, I know that sounds redundant, but it's the truth. So um, let's talk about the next thing that is a humongous obstacle to contentment, and that is having a thorn. I was going to use another word there, and then the more I thought about it and prayed about it, I thought, no, I think it's, uh, I think it's a good word, thorn. And so um, let's look. I know this is a hugely famous passage, and so I've given you a lot of underneath-the-surface pieces of this passage to kind of help you process this week. We won't go over all the Greek words today, but I've given most of them to you, the key words. But let's look at what Paul says about when we have those things in life that are painful and that we don't want. Um, Paul is recounting this story in 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10. I'm using the New American Standard translation, and it says, Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me, and he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses. Let me go back. 
This is a phrase that caught me this summer. Let's start again with verse 10. I am well content. Do you hear that? He's using what he's been learning. I am well content with weaknesses, insults, distresses, persecutions, difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So that's a radical thing to say, don't you think? I mean, I was just kind of like, I have read, I can't tell you how many times I've heard or read that passage before. And when I, because I knew we were going to be talking about contentment, that word jumped out at me and I just went, oh my goodness, that is a humongous statement he's making. And so let's, let's take that apart and kind of look at its component pieces and um, talk about what is a thorn. Paul had a thorn in the flesh. And I'm just going to tell you, I've read the commentators. Y'all can read them too if you want to. Let me just save you the trouble by saying there is no agreement about a lot of speculation, tons of speculation about what Paul's thorn was. And Paul purposefully did not tell us, and I think he did that for a reason, and I think it was to make this text more universally, universally applicable to his readers. Um, it could have been a physical thing. It could have been a relational thing. It could have been an emotional thing, a mental thing, a spiritual thing. It was certainly a spiritual thing. I mean, they, thorns do have a spiritual implication. It could be a provisional thing. We don't know. But those are the areas where we, too, can have thorns in our lives. And I guess the two big traits of a thorn is, A, it's painful, and B, I don't want it. Okay, and um, I, as I was praying about this, about this use of the word thorn, uh, I was reminded that I had read in numerous places in the past that the literal meaning of the word thorn in this particular passage is tent stake. What a visual. I mean, I was just, I, we're, we have never been campers. I think we used to have a tent that we would put up in the backyard because I wasn't going camping on a vacation. But I, now I'm kind of open to that, and I really, but when my kids were little, I'm thinking, you know, some nice sheets and some room service <laughs> at that era of my life. But we did have a little tent, and the stakes that it required to make that thing stand up were not small. And so you think about this is not a splinter, this is not a... You know, like even getting, I got a flu shot and a COVID booster this week. I mean, even that, I mean, that is nothing compared to what a tent state would be. So there is something significant is what we want to take away from that. And as I was praying through it, I, I was just asking the Lord, you know, what would do you have to say to me about a thorn? And Paul tells us the purpose of it here. Um, and so I was kind of praying through that. And I felt like the Lord reminded me of the goad. And it was like he was saying to me, Kathy, a goad is like, think about taking a branch off your rose bush and kind of prodding your cattle along with it or your herd along with that little, uh, you know, thistle or thorn from the rose bush. You know, that is a goad. It's uncomfortable. It, it's painful enough to get somebody to move away from it and to move in the right direction. A tent stake or a thorn is something lar is a much larger form of a goad, and its purpose is to develop depth and strength of character. So it's not just a directional cue; it is that, but it is much more than that, and it has greater efficacy because of it. So if you're thinking about getting somebody to go to the right place in an event, we're talking about developing depth within our being is what a tent stake is about or a, a thorn I should say and I, I liked this quote I was looking at an article on thorns in desiring God and a guy named John Bloom writes for them frequently and he says this Paul identified God as his thorn giver not Satan and he understood that God's purpose was to keep Paul humble and dependent on Christ's power Kind of sounds like leaning to me, huh? So it requires humility to lean on God. 
And most of us, Paul would readily admit, I've given you the references here, Paul was not a humble person by nature. His inclination, his personality, his gifting did not lend itself to humility. There's a few lucky people in the world who get that as a freebie, but true humility is a tough thing to learn. And um, Paul was a person, and I will say that I think I fall into this category with a lot of self-confidence, a tendency toward a lot of self-reliance. Um, so therefore, to keep us from exalting ourselves to a place of thinking we know our opinion's right, our judgments are right, our offenses are justified, God will allow these painful things in our lives. And Paul prayed. It, th- it says three times. If you look deeply into the Greek, what you'll understand is the word that they use there means many, 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 many times. Do you have any places that you've asked God about many, 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 many times? Anybody got one of those or two? And yet Paul didn't get the answer he wanted. But he got a good answer. My grace is sufficient for you, Paul. And what Jesus goes on to tell him is that this is for your benefit, son. This is for your benefit. I want to give you some things that you couldn't get without this. And that this is not inconsistent with the character of God. You know, you hear people say all the time, if God's a really a loving God, if God's really a good God, why would he let something bad like that happen? Why would he let something painful like that? Isn't it surely God's will to take away that hard thing? Well, maybe not. This passage tells us that Paul, I, I infer from this passage that Paul lived with his thorn for the rest of his life. That Jesus has, had told him no. Now, I may get to heaven and find out that's wrong and I, I don't know that for sure because I don't, Paul doesn't write about it again. What was interesting is that Paul had this thorn to keep him from being exalted. Remember, he was taken up into heaven. He was able to see things that he couldn't even describe in words. And what a temptation to exalt yourself and to pry, right? So God's given each of us a ton not exactly the same gifts he's given Paul, but we are gifted, privileged people in this room. And um, and I'm not just talking about materially. I'm talking about just the gift, spiritual gifts, spiritual um, benefits, spiritual training, access to books and knowledge and seminars and, and I mean, so much, y'all. We are so, I mean, I just think about what my children have in terms of what's been made available to them and they're growing up versus what I grew up with, we're healthy in the things of the Lord. We're, we, we have been given exceeding revelation. And for that, I'm extremely grateful. But um, we don't want to be proud about that. And, and you see the same pattern throughout. If you look at the whole arc of the narrative of the Bible. You see, start with Abraham, the father of our faith. He had his own thorns. Joseph, to me, maybe the big, the best depiction of, of a really, really painful thing that you would never sign up for. And God actually used the very sin of his brothers to... Take what Satan meant for evil, it says in Genesis 50, 20, and use it for good. That's what we're talking about here, is that something you couldn't, you would never sign up for, something you would never want, something you hate, something you want to go away, something you don't understand, something that hurts, is a thorn. And, and you see it throughout the Old Testament and we, we're using Paul as our model this year. But then you think about ultimately who bore the greatest amount of pain and was humbled to the greatest degree. It had to be Jesus. He set aside his privileges as God. He functioned as a human being. And he humbled himself even to the point of death, death on a cross, which was a shameful death. So it's, 
it's part of God's redemptive plan. And I think in our world, we don't, our society, our culture, the way we've been raised with this, you know, prosperity mentality, I don't think we want to accept the truth of that. But that's, this is, this is part of God's way of dealing with his people. So we want to get good with that. Um, let's do a little listening question here. Um, and I think this is probably on your page too. My, my notes are a little bit different. Um, it says, when hardship or difficult situations enter the picture, what are your most common ways of responding? And I've given you some examples here to kind of get you going. So, Lord, I pray you show us, um, Lord, how we deal with the thorns and the hard things that come our way. What's our default? And, and then just secondly, Lord, this may be a similar answer or not, but Father, what tends to happen when, what is our pattern of thinking, what's our mindset of thinking and behaving when a difficult thing becomes a long-standing thing, something that just keeps going and we don't see you answering the prayer, Father? Show us what is our mindset around that and how do we act? Okay, well, I'm, I know that's more than we can probably do in that short amount of time, but um, I, like, I like to really, you know, one of my main reasons why I continue year after year to do these discipleship classes is to teach people the one thing that really radically changed my life like nothing else, and that's to listen to God. And so each one of these little listening um, exercises is an opportunity for you to enter in in faith, expecting that God's going to really speak to you. And so I say, if that's something that you have a little bit of a hurdle with, just write down the first thing that comes to your mind, and then you can take time later to go back and go, is that biblical? You know, is that does that line up with the with the truth of Scripture? And and maybe realize, oh, I think the Holy Spirit really was uh, sending me a message then. You know, that it may not have been exactly a Bible verse, but it's biblical. It's a biblical thought consistent with Scripture, and that you can start. You can start trying that as you're stopping leaning and starting to um, acknowledge him that this listening to the Lord I mean that's like your main squeeze in leaning if we're not doing that we're probably not leaning so just saying you know if anybody has missed the point of that that is the point is that I want you doing this about do I go to the uh, Walgreens or do I go to the Publix first? I mean, I, that may sound ridiculous to you, but that is my daily practice of, you know, how I deal with my day is, is stopping and, and, and taking time to listen. So anyway, just for what that's worth. Okay, let's talk about the purpose and the posture and the power that Paul is describing for us in this passage. We've just looked at it, 2 Corinthians 12. Paul finally got to the place, and I'm thinking it took him a while because I, I think I started to say, and I interrupted myself, is that Paul had this revelation of heaven. He waited 14 years, according to scholars, to even talk about it in this passage. So, wow, that's a lot of processing. I don't know if it took him 14 years to see it as a gift, but 
it might take me 14 years if I had something sizable like he's talking about that I knew I was going to be dealing with for a lifetime. So, um, so, and I think that it's like that thing of stop focusing on getting out of the wilderness and focus on finding life there. It's, it's that mindset of there's a song that Jeremy Riddle, I think, one of the, or Jeremy Camp, I think it's Jeremy Riddle, but one of the Jeremy's sings a song that says, Lord, keep me in the moment. It's, it's staying in the moment of, of the discomfort and the pain and the, and the lack of understanding and, um, and pressing in, and instead of focusing on that thing that's, that can be so offensive to us and that can come between us and the Lord, and asking the Lord to help us see it as Paul did as a gift. And so I wanted to um, talk about some of the redemptive purposes of God because Paul lays them out for us in this, in this passage. Uh, so God, I mean, he, it, he, Paul also wrote in Ephesians 1 that he has kind intentions toward us. And so his kind and beneficial and redemptive intentions about allowing a thorn to stay in our life are one grace. That was Jesus' immediate answer to him. My grace is sufficient for you. And I will read this definition. Grace is goodwill, loving kindness, favor by which God, exerting his holy influence upon souls, turns them to Christ, keeps, strengthens, increases faith, knowledge, affection. So it's God's grace at work within us, making us, into the image of Jesus. Jesus. The Lord is committed to that. And he's committed to us through his covenant. And um, it's by grace, it says in 1 Corinthians 15, 10, by the grace of God, I am what I am, Paul writing. And his grace to me was not in vain. So y'all, grace is not, I mean, we use the word grace. Churches are named grace. We say the word grace. We say grace to you, grace and peace to you. But grace, y'all, is a powerful, powerful thing. If you really stop and take a minute and embrace what it truly means, it means he thinks of you preferentially as his child. He prefers you. All of us as his children are preferred people by the God of the universe, and that he's going to deal with you in a favorable and beneficial and loving way, just like you would do for your kids. That's pretty good. And it's an energy and it's an, it's an ability that comes that enables us to do his will. Grace is just a... It's, it's a huge thing that God gives us and Jesus says and that grace is sufficient for whatever it is fill in the blank um and then let's talk about what is sufficient well it's interesting that part of this definition is to say it's satisfies it satisfies whatever the need is it satisfies your lack your weakness your whatever it's enough You know, when I was talking to somebody about the meaning of contentment, um, we were just kind of batting around what does it mean to be content. And the person I was talking to said, well, it's kind of that thing of being able to say, whatever this is, is enough. And so that's what Jesus is saying to Paul. What I bring to you in the midst of your thorn, in the middle of your thorn, at, for the duration of your thorn, it's going to be enough for you. You can be satisfied and content with my grace. And um, I, I love the name El Shaddai. It's one of my favorite names of God, and I could not use it here because it means the all-sufficient one. And, y'all, you know what it literally means? It means the many-breasted one. I've told that before, but I wanted to say it again it's just I, I mean, it makes me think about like some kind of farm animal kind of lying down on the hay and there being a big litter of their little babies and then it's having enough places for the babies to go get their milk and get close to their mama and to be fed what they need 
so that's who our God is to us. There's enough room for each one of him. He has got a supply. Just that's the reason we sang that song is that um, whoever's willing to come, there's a sufficient feast provided for them. Um, I don't know if y'all knew that one, but Come All Ye Pining was, was the song I'm referring to. And power. I mean, who doesn't need some power in their life? Um, and God is omnipotent. We know that you learned that at an early age. When you can say that word, omnipotent, you know it means all-powerful. And um, Paul prays in Ephesians 1, 19 and 20, and this is the New Living. It says, I pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead. So that may be a good prayer this week, is just to say, Lord, could you help me understand how great your power really is? It's like, there's no, it's limitless. There's no end to it. It's infinite. And um, it's, as we've said earlier this year, it's the resurrection power of Jesus. And y'all, what's cool about that is it lives inside of us. The resurrection power of Jesus lives inside of us. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us, Romans 8, 11, and that's the Holy Spirit. So that's the agent of God's power. And then he, he promises to perfect. And that means to complete or fulfill, to perform. Let's start with that word, to perform. We've talked about performance. Well, hey, if we believe that God's going to perfect it, then we don't have to perform anymore because he's going to do it. So that lets us off the performance track and that he's going to execute, complete, and fulfill uh, so that what he said basically is what he's going to do. We can take his words to the bank and that he's going to finish what he started. So, so that's the purpose for a thorn. Now let's talk about the posture. So guess what it is? I mean, it's on the paper, but I mean, leaning, the posture for, for receiving God's power is leaning on him. And, um, and learning to lean and learning to be content like Paul did. And as I, as I pointed out when we read it, in weakness, in insults, in distresses, in persecutions, in difficulties. I like the difficulty because I thought it really kind of might sum up all of them. A narrow place. Calamity, anguish, and affliction. A narrow place suggests to me that I'm stuck and I can't get out of this and I don't see a way out and I don't like it here and it hurts. So um, I was able to connect with one place that's kind of like that in my life that I, I think I may have learned a degree of contentment and it was it was sweet of the Lord to show me that, and I want to I take that little bit of learning and transfer it to some other areas. And, um, and so we want to pursue that. Um, I read a little book by J.I. Packer that has the word weakness in the title, and uh, I can't tell you the name of the book, but anyway, it was, a, it was a quick little read, a deep little read, a profound little read, and um, in that book, he says this. He says, when the world tells us that everyone has a right to a life that is easy, comfortable, and relatively pain-free, a life that enables us to discover, display, and deploy all the strengths that are latent within us, the world twists the truth out of shape. So, y'all, it's kind of that expectation thing is if we're thinking that we got on the gospel train with Jesus and then everything's going to be easy. You know, we lived uh, in, we had a lake place one time, and we had always said, Bob and I, from the early years when we were just married, no kids, one of these days I want to live on easy street. And so we had this lake place, and y'all, the street right before our place was Easy Street. We never did make it. 
And here's the thing, we're never going to make it to easy street um, in this world. We will have seasons of ease. We will have seasons of joy. We'll have seasons of rest. But the truth is, we, you know, we've got some stuff that we've got to contend with. And if we aren't accepting that, contentment can't come. We've just got to be okay to say, you know what, there's some stuff I'm going to have to deal with in the world. And, and it may vary over time, but there's going to be things that are, you know, um, as we say, flies in the ointment kind of things. Um, so Paul, here we have him. He's writing, and he's saying, y'all, I prayed so many times. I prayed so many times for God to take this away, and, and the answer I got was, basically no and however Jesus is holding out another option and he's saying will you trust me with the option I'm offering you will you trust me with the grace I'm offering will you trust me to take your weakness which is the very thing we don't want to connect to and perfect my power in that will you trust me Paul There's a song that Charles Billingsley sings, which I absolutely detest, called <laughs> Willing to be Weak. I mean, and I, I kind of am kidding, but when I first heard it, I thought, oh, man, I don't really want to. Let's be honest here. Who wants to be weak? Is there anybody in the room that wants to be weak? Really? No. Our flesh doesn't want to be weak. We want to be strong. And yet, that's the doorway to the power, to the perfect power. And so you just think about, why would we, why would we pick our puny power when we have omnipotent, infinite, above and beyond power available to us? Why would we pick it? So that's what Paul, that's why Paul's writing this, is to say, you should probably think about that. It's kind of, if you think about it in those terms, it's, it makes it a little bit easier choice to embrace our weakness and to take hold of the power that Jesus is offering us. So it's a posture. It's a mindset. you kind of got to work your way there, as Paul said. You've got to learn it. And, um, and to know that it's, a place that Paul was even able to say instead of leaning back on my own understanding and my own gifts and abilities and strengths and everything I know about the Old Testament and all the great teachers I sat under and all the things that I could tell you about being a Roman citizen and having a wealthy background and being from the right family and whatever his list was He's decided to count that as lost and come over here and say, you know what, I'm going to boast about my weakness. I'm going to glory in my weakness. That's my badge of honor is my weakness. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm preaching to myself here, guys. But that's where Paul, he was able to get to that place. So, I mean, let's, let's do a listening exercise. I need one bad. Okay. <laughs> Lord. Um, we're just going to say in all complete honesty, Lord, it's not natural. It's not natural. It is not our natural inclination to welcome pain and difficulty. But, Lord, we also don't want to stay miserable and stuck in a narrow place. We don't want to be discontent in our troubles either. And so, Lord, we're just going to write down the things that are jamming us up, the things that are thorns in our flesh, Lord, so we can just say to you, this is where we need you, Lord. Lord, I need you in and just make your, like, top three list. And, Father, for everything we've written down, we just ask you, we, we just confess to you that we're weak. Lord, we are we are weak in wanting, in our desire to connect with your strength. And we are weak in being able to glory in these, these thorns 
and weaknesses of ours, Lord. But we ask that you would cause our eyes to see the beauty and the benefit of your power and your grace and your sufficiency and your promise to perfect all that concerns us. Lord, please help us, Lord, in our unbelief. We ask it in Jesus' name. Okay, so we've talked about power. Let's talk about how that fleshes out to us and some specific ways that the power can be um, come to bear on the painful things that strengthen us because he's saying that he's going to bring us strength. Well, how about the strength of maturity? And this is a verse I've loved for a really long time. I'm going to read it because it's so, it says it so well from the message. Hebrews 12, 11 and 12 says, God is doing what is best for us, training us to live God's holy best. At the time, discipline isn't much fun. It always feels like it's going against the grain. Later, of course, it pays off big time for it's the well-trained who find themselves mature in their relationship with God. I mean, and if, if there's one I'd put a star by, that would be it, because it kind of says so much, doesn't it? Going back to our very, very, very early days of look, looking at learning to lean, it's relationship. It's our relationship with the Lord. This is where tr- this is this is the um, kind of boot camp, so to speak, of trust in God. Um, is when you hit an obstacle course. All these obstacles we've talked about. So this is where trust is built. Is in these places in the maturity of our relationship with Him, and being willing to accept that uh, Your way, God, feels kind of. It's not. It's going against my grain, but I'm I'm willing to hang with you because I think I, I believe that what you've got on the other side of this is better, um, that it is best, and then and it and he and it uses word training. So in other words, implying a process. We're, none of us is going to arrive mature tomorrow. Humility, um, just to be able to to contrast. I was reminded of Jesus' words in Mark 10, 27. It says, with men, it's impossible. Just so much of what we want in life and we wish could happen in life, it's impossible for us to pull it off. But with um, God, all things are possible. So to connect with heaven-born possibilities of what God wants to do in a situation that we often can't predict what that is. I hasn't seen, ear hasn't heard, mind can't conceive. Y'all, gratitude is one of the most attractive virtues in all of life. It's sort of the, in some ways you might say, this is probably (coughs) overstating this, but it's kind of the opposite of entitlement. Gratitude. I mean, I think there's more to it than, I think there's more to entitlement than in gratitude, but but it, as, uh, let me say this, I think I can say this with uh, confidence. That just as unattractive as entitlement is, gratitude is that attractive. How about that? Um, And I want to be attractive. How about you? Um, But uh, we're challenged in Scripture to give thanks in all things. I mean, it doesn't say give me thanks about all things. um, But it does say to give thanks in all things. And that we can think it that it trains our eyes to look for the things we do have it trains our eyes to be grateful for what God does provide it trains us to um, practice something that I try to encourage by example and try to provide means to and that's um, praise and worship um uh, we were talking in the leadership hour Stephanie had done some research on this and Praise is remembering what God has done for us and thanking him. And it's just like saying, thank you, God, for doing this, this, this. I mean, you can go all the way back for saving my soul to you made my head feel better this week. I mean, you just so much we can thank him for and praise him for. And then worship is more about just acknowledging and, and 
glorying in who he is and all the possibilities that he can bring to bear on a situation that we may not yet have seen. And I know for me on Sunday, you know, I, I was kind of pushing the playlist, and I've, I've given you some prompts. I'm giving you different prompts every week in case you haven't read them <laughs> uh, on your worksheet. And uh, I've prompt, done a little change-up in the prompt on, um, on the singing part because singing in these principles really is a powerful strategy. Uh, and I know for me on Sunday, I was standing on the front row as I'm apt to do on a Sunday, and the music was spectacular. And the truth, I mean, I brought my worship guide just for fun. I mean, uh, that's not it, though. That was my place I was putting my cough drop. But uh, I brought my worship guide because, I mean, it was like I was just sitting there going, I had pretty much written the lesson on Friday and Saturday between those two days. And so it was like, boom, boom, boom. But we were singing every single thing that I'd been studying all weekend. So I, mean, I was just like, I, I mean, I wanted to get my flashlight out, you know, and kind of hold it up. I was so, I was so energized by the music and being able to thank God for his just incredible provision in so many ways. And just that our church is enjoying this level of worship. Oh my gosh. I mean, it was just, I, I had to restrain myself. It was awesome. And I, it's, it, it, no matter where I'm coming in, if I can enter into his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise and then go all the way to the place of worship and who he is, um, y'all, it's, it is medicine to our souls. It is medicine. So I don't care if you listen to the playlist or not. I really don't because I'm listening to it and having fun with it. But pick the ones you love. Pick the ones that say it to you. Try it. Try opening your devotional time with the Lord or just try playing it in your car or something or while you're mopping the floor. Does anybody mop the floor anymore? I think we don't do that because there's Swiffers or something. But anyway, that um, I did wax long on that. And then lastly, what about, try this one on first size. Think about this. Do you think you, little person that we are, us, little human beings, can bring glory to God? He made you for that. That's what he made you for, was to bring glory to God. I mean, it's kind of hard to believe, but it's the truth that your human life, your frail, weak, having failed many times, having fallen short of his glory many times, your efforts that are full of mixed motives, all that you are a vessel for noble purposes, it says. Paul wrote to Timothy. You're a vessel, Timothy, for noble purposes. And I'm saying that to each one of you. And God wants to use you and how you respond to your thorns as a way to bring himself glory. And y'all went, I mean, glory maybe nobody even notices but let's start noticing my little um, working definition of glory is when God shows up when God shows up in just the little these little ways like on Sunday there's that verse I studied this song is saying the very thing I wrote on the paper when God shows up that was a glory moment for me and nobody else had to know about it for it to be true. It was glory. God showed up. So we can enjoy the glory of God. And guess what? You, there, God may be bringing glory to himself through you in ways you don't even know. There's a passage that didn't make it to the paper, and I'm pretty sure it's 2 Corinthians 2, that talks about Christ is leading us in his triumphal procession, and we are it's like we're the aroma of Christ. We're bringing glory to him by just carrying his presence and being covered in his presence, and that to some people is the smell of life. We don't know it. I mean, people are drawn to that. If they're on the if God's drawing them to life, they're they're that there's, it's almost like a magnet that draws him. And they may think it's your haircut or your nail color or that cute outfit you have on or something, but it may be the aroma of Christ. And, and then 
But remember, Paul was content with persecutions too because that passage goes on to say that um, to others it's the stench of death. So guess what? Speaking of offenses, the Jesus that we carry, the spirit of God that we carry, the glory that God wants to display through us is going to be offensive to some people, and they are going to not like it one bit. So be ready for that. But I'm saying the others so worth that. Who cares, right? I mean, I kind of got to the place where I, if you don't like my Jesus, I'm sorry for you. You know, I mean, I pray that that will change. And so that is all I want to say about that passage. And I want to tell you a little bit about my testimony. And I worked on it again this morning because I, was, I had a question about it. So I'm just trusting the Lord to tell what about this story he wants me to tell. So last week, I've, I've been noticing I've been given two-part testimonies this year. It's a new thing for me. Um, I just really have to trust the Lord with what story he wants me to tell, but people remember the stories better than they remember the verses, so I just try to be faithful to give a real-life example of what this might look like in my own particular life. So last week, I was telling a story about how I was not content with my physical situation. I had a hip issue. Um... I started processing that with the Lord, and somehow the Lord showed me that that whole thing got started during the time when my mother, we, we're going to call her Granny because everybody in her life calls her Granny, when Granny started declining. And so as I was kind of asking the Lord, well, Lord, what thorns do I have? I'm just going to have to say, I mean, like number one front and center is my situation with my mom. Now, am I calling my mother a thorn? No. I'm just saying I I am keeping two households, and that means stocking the pantry, taking care of bills, taking care of repairs, yada, yada, yada. I'm doing that double duty on that. I am, y'all, I'm just going to say I wish I was good at caregiving. I'm a pharmacist, not a nurse. This is not my area. This is not my strong suit. Uh, thank you, God, that there are people you can pay to do the caregiving part. I can be my mother's daughter, you know, but I, I'm not good at caregiving. So I, he, I've been thrust many times into the role of caregiving. Talking about weak, I'm just saying. And um, I've been running a small business. It's the Miss Mary granny caregiver team business and y'all that means schedules recruiting payroll settling disputes finding substitutes it is I mean if I could just push the button and make one thing suck down the delete button that would be the one I'd pick right um emotional stress I mean my mother is emotionally distressed over her situation I'm emotionally distressed as you could tell last week over my mother's situation the caregivers get stressed out over my mother's situation they get scared they don't want anything to happen on their watch um dementia is a hard disease to deal with and um and then the financial part guys I am good at figuring out a dose on a medicine I can figure out your dose if you want to take ibuprofen come see me I don't know why that math skill doesn't translate to keeping the books. Okay, I'm terrible. Talking about punching my weak button, the money part of this is very button pusher to me. So that's, for those reasons, it's a thorn. Never, you know, it's one of those things that I I didn't sign up for this. You know, I don't want to be doing this. I don't want my mom to be having to do this. And it is painful. And there's a lot of loss involved. And there's a lot of getting in touch with my weakness. And I really, really, really think I know, like, what would really be ideal would be if she could keep her dignity, if she could keep her privacy, if she could, all these things that I see that what I think would be so much better. And y'all, it is impossible. I am call. I mean, I am calling myself and her situation to a standard that I'm not able to maintain. And so it is just this, oh, incredibly frustrating 
um, situation. And it taps into my thing of being alone because I'm an only child. I really don't have anybody to consult about it. I will say that Bob has been an excellent help in that he's so patient to listen. And he has a 98-year-old mother, y'all. So, I mean, thank you, Jesus, for the provision of Bob Giordo. Um, so, yeah, I mean... In some ways, I'm telling you, I'm not really content with the way that the end of life and old age, that's, that's kind of what I told you last week. I'm not content with the plan for, for going out of this world on the tail end. Don't like it. Don't want to participate in it. I don't want my people I care about to participate in it. I don't understand why it has to be that way. So I'm discontent with that. I confess it to you. But I'm trusting that God leaves it that way for a purpose, okay? So that was my A part. My B part is I sat down before the Lord and just said, well, Lord, what is different about this? And now I'm going to refer to my journal because I think this is more instructive than probably what I've got written on this page. Then I just said, well, Lord, so what am I content or am I discontent? Because I'm kind of both. Because what I found over the years is this, is that I really have found God's grace to be sufficient. He has showed up for me in ways that you wouldn't believe if I told you. He has provided in ways that you wouldn't believe if I told you. One instance. I may have told this already. I don't remember telling it. If I did, forgive me for repeating. But my mom was in the hospital at kind of the beginning of covid think she had pneumonia or something and um so I remember exactly where I was I got a call from the hospitalist and he said hey I'm going to send your mom home today and I'm going great and I'm thinking uh why is she going home she's so weak you know she hadn't really walked in days last time we did this we went to rehab I said well what about rehab he said are you kidding COVID and I went oh you know so I said, well, what, what do you suggest? Because she's, you know, he's a 24-7 help. And I'm kind of standing there in this parking lot going, oh, great, sure. Well, you know, I'm going to just pull that out of my hat. You know, okay, thanks a lot, doctor, for your call. <laughs> you know, and, and so I just did that. The only thing I knew to do was cry out to the Lord and say, Jesus, I know you were a provider. Here I am, just little old me. I don't do caregiving, so what you got for me, Lord, I, please. And, I, I mean, it was just like he put two or three people on my mind to call Debbie Brazil with one of them and somebody else. I can't tell you who else it was. I'm, I want you to know that within, I, I don't remember the exact number of hours, but it was a number less than five. In three or four hours, I had a 24-7 caregiving, caregiver team in place in my mother's home, and I have never ever had to work a shift ever since that day that I mean who does that God y'all that talking about his sweet provision for me and not feeling alone thank you Lord thank you um so I, I just asked him but he said you know when I, I was kind of writing and journaling, and I just said, so, Lord, how can I be content and yet be discontent and offended with you? And this is basically what I, I wrote in my own words, is, is what came through the revelation of just sitting before the Lord, is that I had a war going on within me, that I've been in a content place in the day-to-day. -day. I've seen his faithful provision in the day-to-day. But I've been walking, it's like walking around without glasses. It's like, just think about it. You know, have you ever been one of those people who, or maybe you have hearing issues, or maybe you have, you know, one of your legs is slightly longer than the other one, and then all of a sudden somebody puts an orthotic in, or you put on a pair of readers, and all of a sudden you go, oh my gosh, I didn't realize how off I was until 
somebody came in and made that correction. And so it was kind of like that, that I wasn't functioning at my best and highest and, and that I wasn't connecting to all of God relationally because I had let the spirit of offense come in over this thorn. And in particular, I think I was boxing him out of me and him because I am projecting into my own future about, and this is going to be my life experience when I don't have that information yet. So I think it was more about him ministering to my inevitable entering into the aging scene versus what's going on with my mom. So um, I really am humble, humbled and grateful for what he's provided. Uh, I've seen him come through in some amazing ways in my weakness, and I've seen him give me staying power. This has been going on. Y'all, nobody would have ever predicted that my mother would live this long. She has medical issues and comorbidities to her dementia that there is no explainable reason why she's still here. And yet, it was really sweet that the Lord showed me that um, the one of the very areas of weakness that I need to know God's presence is this thing about having a tiny family. And he's really ministered to that in this last year and a half as I've realized that, you know, not only has he raised up this team of paid caregivers, but I have a, a community of faith that's there to support me. And so when my husband asked me to go on an anniversary trip, People in this room stepped up to check on my mom. Who does that? And that when it came time for my son to get married, and who, oh, he loves his granny more than anybody. She can get anything out of that Jackson Gerardo. And he, he said, I want granny to be there. And it was like, hey, that kid doesn't know what he's asking. He doesn't know. To get my mother to the doctor is no small feat. Do you know, y'all, this is a miracle. I'm just going to call it a miracle. It probably didn't qualify according to the people over at Beeson. But I'm going to say that the fact that my mom got in a car and went five hours to New Orleans and stayed in a hotel room and got looking pretty in her dress with her little silver slippers on and had her hair done and got her makeup done and went to that wedding was a stinking miracle. And, and guess what? I mean, we had every provision figured out from, from ER to broken something to car breakdown. We had it all covered. Do you know what? You know what we needed? None of that. It went perfectly. Granny got to go to Jackson's wedding, and I can really be so grateful for that memory. So I am content as hard as it is. As painful as it is, God's grace is sufficient. I, I really can't say that and mean it. So that's my testimony. I'm going to end with uh, a prayer that Paul wrote because I think it's one that will help us to connect with the power and gifts that God stands at the ready to give us in our thorny places. And it's found in Ephesians 3, 16 through 19, Amplified. And I pray, Father, that you would grant out of the rich treasury of your glory to be strengthened and reinforced with mighty power in the inner man by the Holy Spirit himself indwelling our innermost beings and personality. Lord, may Christ through our faith actually dwell, settle down, abide, and make his permanent home in our hearts. May we be rooted deep in love and founded securely on love. That we may have the power and be strong to apprehend and grasp with all the saints, God's devoted people, the experience of that love. And what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth of it. And that we may be really come to know practically and through experience for ourselves the love of Christ which far surpasses mere knowledge without experience, that we may be filled through all of our beings 
unto the fullness of God, that we may have the richest measure of the divine presence and become a body wholly filled and flooded with God himself. And so let's pray. Father, your promise of being available to us, of being in us, of exerting your power, of bringing glory, of, of giving grace and sustaining us in circumstances that we never thought we'd be able to endure with joy and with peace and with gratitude. Lord, in places where we want to fix and be self-reliant, Lord, you're saying, I'm standing at the ready for you to just let it go and let, let um, yourself lean into me. Lord, that you stand at the ready with your perfect power and strength. And that, Lord, you're, you have a plan. That all this is not wasted pain. This is, this is for our benefit, Lord, to mature us so that we would know you more deeply and that we would come to know that strength that's underneath us, those everlasting arms that are always there, Lord, and that we uh, would be strengthened with mighty power in our inner man, Father, in these outer circumstances that we don't want and we'd like to get rid of. So, Lord, we pray that you would increase our ability to trust you, that you would increase our ability to let go of anything that's standing in the way of just leaning in and leaning on you. Thank you for what you're doing in our hearts, Jesus. We ask all these things in your name. Amen.